Well, do you love Jesus this morning? Are you glad that he's alive and in charge of our planet? That was pitiful. Are you glad he's in charge of our planet? (laughs) I was getting nervous there for a minute. It's an election year, so I always remind myself, I'm glad he's in charge of my planet. Let me catch you where we are. It's been good and challenging for me in this series called The End Game. If you're here, this is week two. I'll catch you up just a little bit so that we're all kind of on the same page, flying the same direction. At the end of 2023, I chalked it up as one of the worst years in my life. I'll I'll spare you any details. I just, and I say that because I told Robin on New Year's Eve of of this last year, I said, well... I don't know about that year, but I don't ever want to relive that one. Anybody got a year or a month or a day you don't want to relive? I said, I don't want to go back and repeat that one. And then I made a joke. I said, well, if, I've ha- if I check that box that I don't ever want to live that year again, I want to start 2024 off with a bang, and I want to dust myself off and get busy living. So I thought, what better way to dust myself off than to read the book of Job? And so I picked the book of Job to start the year. I just finished a few days ago. But in the book of Job, uh, you know, I kind of thought, I know what the book of Job is about. I've read it a lot, but I don't like to do that. I always like to say, God, what do you want to say? And as I finished the book of Job, it became clear to me that everybody in the book of Job thought they were right. Job is trying to figure it out. His wife thinks she's right. Just curse God and die. His friends that show up to give him great encouragement, uh, although it's not encouraging to Job, but they think they're right. So every friend gets a chapter or two to give their rightness. And then Job will say why he thinks he's right. And then another two or three chapters of a friend, why they're right. And then the wife says she's right. And so I'm reading it and I'm just having this thought, man, everybody in this book thinks they're right. And so that dropped something in my heart that I titled The End Game. It's not The Avengers, so don't think that. But it's an end game that I started noticing that every human being has this button in them of self and me where we always think we're right. And even if we don't think we're right, we kind of like being right. Nobody likes to be wrong. We, We can even argue over who's right. And so I I thought the way I would tackle the top of this year is I wanted to talk about the end game because I think humans have an end game and their end game is me and what I need and what if we're a Christian, what my end game is what God can do for me. But if you tackle it from God's perspective, God has an end game. He has something that He's shooting for and His end game is distinctly different than ours. Because his end game is not what he can do for you, but who he is. My end game is what? Can can you heal me, bless me, fix me, save my marriage? What, what, what? But if he doesn't do that, I'm in trouble. His end game is who, who, who? If you know who I am, it changes everything. Because if you know who he is, you can go through hell. If you know who he is, you can endure the hard times because you know. And so... In this book, it's 42 chapters long. Let me break it down quickly. The first two chapters are basically a hellhole. If you ever just have a bad day, read them. You'll feel better about yourself. You're like, it's not that bad. 
He's lost all of his businesses. He's lost all of his workers. He's lost all of his employees. He's lost all of his animals. Chapter 2, he loses all of his children. Chapter 3, his wife's mad and everybody's going downhill quickly. So if you just want to feel better about yourself, just read Job first two chapters, put your Bible down and go get some ice cream. You're probably not as bad of a day as he had. But from chapter 3 to chapter 38, there's these 35 chapters of everybody's opinion. Have you ever met those people? Everybody has an opinion. And God in His godness keeps His mouth shut for 35 chapters. Because I've learned that sometimes God will just let you do stupid for quite a while before He shows up and says, listen, I got an opinion here. Because we're great at our own opinions, but... So I will say this, God will allow you to exist for quite a while thinking you're right before He shows up and go, all of you are clueless. We're about 2,000 years into thinking we're all right and it's going to be one day He's going to show up and go, you're all clueless, here I am, right? So, so let's pick up, now here's what we're picking up. We're going to pick up God showing up and starting to have an opinion. And here's His opinion. Job chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, everybody laughing has been saved a long time. Everybody's like, yep, I've argued with him quite a bit. Why me? Why am I sick? Why did my marriage go bad? Why did my husband leave me? Why did I get cancer? Why did I go broke? Why don't my children serve you? It's easy when you're a human to argue with the Almighty. Because why? The reason I have the Almighty is for what He can do for me. And if God doesn't perform for me, God says this, So you're God's critic? But do you have the answers? Because I've learned as Christians, we're professional critics. We can criticize, not people, we can criticize God. I've even said to Him, because I was irritated years ago. If I'm still here, it's grace because I should have been blown up, have worms just because I have argued with him enough that I think he just said, Martin, just shut up. Just shut up. Because I said to him in a prayer, I, this is how dumb I was. I said, God, I was asking him to do something and he wasn't doing it. And I was, I was quoting and stomping my feet and quoting scripture and demanding the devil and casting the devil out and demanding the spirit to come. And I said this to God. I said, God, if I was you and you was me and I was as desperate as I am to you, I'd answer your prayer. <laughs> if I was God and you were me, I would answer your prayer. So why don't you answer mine? Like, you're in your 20s then, and God's just like, you little idiot, just, I'm going to leave him alone. I just, that was the dumbest thing a human's ever said to me. It's why if I was here, you wouldn't have made the Bible, because that was just stupid. <laughs> but I also have found out one of the greatest ways to live as a human that, that trusts God is to come to a place to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. When I started in ministry, I started with the foolishness that I would have all the answers. If you were in trouble, I could take you to a Bible verse. If you were sick, I could tell you He would heal you. If your marriage was broken, I could tell you He would fix it. I had the answers. I went to school to have the answers. I studied to have the answers. And the older I got, I realized that I could have religious answers, but I didn't have the answers. 
I could know things religiously, but I don't know all of the answers to life. And so I landed on a place that sometimes with God, there's just the ability to go, look, I don't have the answer. Now, the moment you say that, it doesn't mean that you're not a person of faith. What it means is you're going to have to trust Him. Because if God gives you all the answers, you would be God, right? If you had all the answers, there would be no need to be God. You you could say, I have all the answers. So there's a beautiful thing when he says, look, you're the critic, but do you have the answers? The, The answer I should say back is, no, I don't. And then God would say, good, then trust me. And I'm telling you, that's hard. When you want an answer out of him, And he won't answer the answer you want out of him because he's like, listen, I'm not on an ego trip, Mark. What I'm after is not answering all your prayers. What I'm after is you trusting me. Can you trust me? It took me a long time to get there. Can you just trust me? Yes, no. Yes, no. No, yes. And that all depended on how I felt. Do I trust him to be a healer? Well, if he's a healer, I still wouldn't have a knot. So I don't trust him he's my healer. And it just is this game. Well, he goes on. God keeps talking. Will you discredit my justice? Because one thing I know about humans is we like to be sit in the seat of the judge. We like to determine right and wrong and who's in charge. So he says, look, are you going to discredit my justice? In other words, if I'm God and I hold all the answers, will you trust me? Trust me for what? Trust my justice that whatever I do, it will be right. Oh, I don't like that. I don't want to trust that whatever you will do is right. I want to trust that you'll do for me what I think is right. So God, here's what I need you to do. I need you to just wake my wife up in the middle of the night and give her a vision of how mean she is. And Because it's easy for me to tell God how I think he should be God. My children aren't serving you, so I just ask that you, and then I give a long list of what I think he should do with my children. Because it's very hard when God's not performing to back off and go, look, I trust you. I have no clue how you're going to pull this off, but I know you're going to pull it off. And I don't care how you pull it off. I just trust you have the answers. And I just want you to know I'm taking myself out of the seat of justice and I'm letting you be the just God because I know if it's in your justice, whatever comes will be right and it will be good. All I have to do is just remain in your purposes. For he who is called after my purposes will see my goodness. All right, God, I'll just let you go. Have at it. Oh, and I'm telling you, that have at it, do it, I trust you, and then all hell starts breaking loose. (laughs) So then he says, well, if you're going to discredit my justice, in other words, if you don't think that I will do what's fair and right, then you're going to condemn me. And we do that. We say, well, he's not really God. If he was God, he would have healed my mother. If he was God, I wouldn't be here today. If he was God, I wouldn't be an addict. If he was God, whatever. You condemn me. And then I love what God says because he, he touches a nerve in every human. The reason you criticize me, the reason you discredit my justice, and the reason you condemn me is you humans have to always prove you're right. You've been doing it from the beginning. I told you to leave the dad burned tree alone and you thought you were right and ate it. And here we are. Well... That 
button of, I just want to prove you're, you're right. If you're in this room and you think, well, that's not me. I don't have to prove I'm right. I guarantee you, you're single. Because if you want to see the proving of right, get married. Oh, my Lord. You will fight to the death to prove who's right. Oh, I'm going to prove it. You'll, you'll skip sex for a month just to prove who's right. So you have to get married to really understand the depth of it. Yeah, bless our hearts. <laughs> well, I wrote this thought down. When human philosophy... That's us thinking we're right is the end game. Everybody's just right in their own eyes. And we're there. We're living in a country where everybody's right in their own eyes. If I'm a boy that wants to be a girl, I'm right because I'm judging it by my own self. And you're seeing the chaos that it's causing. Anytime everybody's right, it causes chaos because therefore if everybody's right, nobody's wrong. And if you are wrong, everybody hates you. But that's wrong, so it's a weird thing. And we're fighting it in our country right now when a girl wants to dress like a boy or a boy a girl and swim with a swim team or however it plays out. We go, that's, that's not right. But we live in a culture where the philosophy is everybody's right. Well, let's leave that off and let's bring it into the church. When we talk church people, what we have is a bunch of people coming to church, but in the core, we're still self. Selfishness can still prevail. Emotions still prevail, and we all can bring into the building, I'm right. And so what happens when we do that is we end up, everybody's right. Everybody has an opinion. The Buddhists say that you can become God. The Hindus say there's 33 million gods. The, you know, the Muslims say Allah is God. The Christians say God is God, Yahweh. And then we'll argue over who is Jesus. Is, is Jesus a prophet, a poet, a priest? Was he just a historian? Was he a fable, a folklore? Or is he God in the flesh? And then the spirit is interesting because every religious culture has this deistic spirit, spiritism out there. But let's just bring it to Christianity. Most of us in Christianity can't even agree over this. There's denominations of people that say, well, the Spirit's gone, it's not here. There's other groups that say, no, the Spirit's here, there's just no gifts. And then there's other groups that say, not only are there gifts, mm, I've got one. And, and, and we're all like, okay. So what happens? Because we all want to be right, the devil's just folklore. No, he's a real person. No, it's just a sign of some negative energy. What happens to Christians is we take our I want to be right and we divide ourselves into camps. And what the micro, you know, the microorganism of wanting to be right controls us. That's why there's a denomination on every corner. And the funny thing is, I'm assuming we all think we're right. The reason I became a Baptist is the theology of the Baptist is right. The reason I broke from Catholicism is they're not right. 
They think the Pope, you have to go through priests. They must be wrong. I'm right. The Catholic is like, we're all right. Y'all will probably go to hell because we're all right. And then the Methodists come along and say, well, the Baptists, they don't do it because you're supposed to wear a robe and have candles. And then we get along and we say, well, no, you're not only supposed to have a robe and candles. We're going to go a little deeper and we're going to say that women can't even talk in the pulpit. But then we're going to have these weird group of people called Church of God who suddenly start speaking in tongues and they say, well, if you really want to get the Spirit, you have to tarry at the altar for days and hours. But then the assemblies of God broke from the church of God because the assemblies of God said, no, you don't have to tarry at an altar. You can get tongue-talking in the middle of a closet. So an entire group of people became church of God, assembly of God, and then we got mad in the assemblies and thought, well, we think the gifts of the Spirit should just flow and we should be able to dress any way we want to and not have to wear suits and ties and we can just kind of be free-flowing. So we broke from them when we became non-denominational, independent, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing group of people and we all started our own church because we all think we're right. We all think we're right. And that's irritating because the world looks at us and says, why would I want to worship a God that you all can't even agree on? And if you think we're making a difference, there's 400,000 units of churches in our country. You would think our country would be a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing country. But what happens is we're all right and we're professional critics but we're not seeing the life of God. But we know how to do church. We know what Bible version works. And I know whether people should fall out in the Spirit. And if they do, I've been trained to cover them with a blanket. Because I don't want to go to a church that doesn't have people falling out. But I go to a church that says if somebody falls out, I'm leaving. Because that's crazy. And then you got somebody says, oh, I know Jesus. And I go, well, I know Jesus. They said, no, I know Jesus. I'm like, you do? No, I know him. He showed up at the foot of my bed. And I'm like, I don't want that Jesus. That'd scare the hound out of me. If I woke up and saw a figure at the foot of my bed that said he was Jesus, I'd like get behind me and say, boom. I don't want that. But they think they're right. So what we do is we break into factions. We call them churches but I call them units of we're right. And we're all worshiping ourselves of what we think is right. And how dare you think differently than me. And so what I've come to is I think what has happened is we've made the perceptions our God. And we've missed God. So that I'm more irritated whether you speak in tongues as initial evidence or speak in tongues as a evidence, or don't speak in tongues at all, those thinking become my God, and I lose sight of what we're supposed to be here doing. Or if we should sing out of a red back hymnal, I went to a website last week, and I clicked on it because I'd never heard of the church, so I clicked on it, thought, that's new, I've never heard of them. And this is what it said at the top of their website. We're doing church the right way. We still sing out of the red book hymnal. We still dress up, and we still read the King James Bible. And I thought, well, they're they're right. So I clicked on it, and there was about 30 people going. So I thought, well, there's there's 30 people that think they're right. And then there's other people that go, oh, man, I'm so free from that. We're right, because we don't do hymnals. We just sing in the Spirit. 
and we'll just sing for two hours. I'm like, two hours? You're kidding. I can't stand that long. Oh, that's the spirit, Pastor, just to sing for two hours. So you have the two-hour singing people that are right, the King James people are right, the tongue-talking people are right, and we all are down here going, come and bring revival. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Because if he brought revival, we couldn't even agree on it. He brought revival in Asbury. It took two days before people were criticizing that's not real revival. So it doesn't matter what he does, somebody's going to be irritated. Somebody's going to criticize him. Somebody's going to say, they're not right, it's not God, it's of the devil. We're right. And welcome to Christianity. So we're in a predicament. So I thought I'd help you. I'm so convinced this is true that if I took you all in this room and I said, you have one goal, you have to determine where the bow tie belongs on the giraffe. And as soon as you all agree, you can leave. Y'all would be here till you die. Well, I think the bow tie should go right under the chin. I think the bow tie should go up here on the horns. I think the bow tie should go down at the bottom of the neck. And we would argue so long on where should a bow tie go on a giraffe. You would even have people going, this is stupid. Giraffes don't wear bow ties. We'd be like, I know, that's not the project. Oh, I'm just telling you, that's just a farcical thing. Have you ever seen a giraffe with a bow tie? We would argue that. We would argue, is this project even of God? Mark just made it up. He just wants to try to prove a point. I'm leaving. That's how we could argue this out. And I guarantee you, all I ask is, put the bow tie on the giraffe, ready, set, go. And probably by the time I come back, this is what the giraffe would look like. He would have makeup on. He would have glasses. He would have a matching coat, suit, and tie. His horns would have a little spray, spray on them for color. He'd kind of look like a transgender, gay, homophobe, sweet preacher, Pentecostal, whatever it was. All of your opinions would be on the giraffe. And I would come back and say, where's the bow tie? <laughs> and you would say, we, we didn't like the bow tie. We like this here. This is much more appealing. That, that's just a boring little bow tie. This is a real giraffe. Look how cute. He's going to attract people. He's going to speak to the blind people who can't see. He's going to speak to the women that love their eyelashes. He's going to speak to the gays that spray their hair a different color. He's going to speak to people in the 70s that smoke weed and wear a bunch of weird colors. And this becomes what we argue over, and then we present it to the world, and God steps back and says, that's not what I ask you to do. My belief is when he left the planet... He gave us one job. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love each other like you love yourselves. And we said, thank you, but we're going to do this. We're going to make it really difficult. And we're going to put our little spin on it. And we're going to call it our denomination. And we're not even going to do the main thing anymore. And we're going to write books on why the tie is the main thing. And the shirt is the main thing. And the coat is the main thing. And the glasses are the main thing. And the eyeshadow is the main thing. And the hair tips are the main thing. We've all made it the main thing. It's not the main thing. The main thing was put the dad burn bow tie onto the giraffe. 
And here we are 2,000 years later. And we want to know what's wrong with our country and our world? Do you know that I read a... I was blown away. I, 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 I'm going to have to go study it to make sure it's true. I'm sure Derek may know because he's deep in missions. I read an article that there's four, 8 billion people on planet Earth. 3.7 billion, nearly 50%, are unreached. They, they've, they've never heard the message of Jesus Christ. Half of our planet, Derek? Is it true? It's true. Half of the planet, they've researched it. How could you sit here and go, half the planet's never heard about the bow tie on the giraffe? You're kidding me, right? No, over, over half the world. While we in America are sitting here going, man, we got the best giraffe ever. And so the end result is, out of the 3.7 billion that have never heard the gospel story, this, was, this just blew my mind. 1.4 something billion people have no way to even hear the gospel because there's no church, there's no preacher, there's no scripture, and no evangelist or missionary has ever been allowed to go in the country to spread the gospel. While we sit and argue this, and so my heart has been this year, I want to end my end game and I want to pick his back up. And I want to live for his end game. Let me give it to you real quickly. Job replies, I know you can do anything. See, he's kind of a little snotty back to him. I know you can do anything and nobody can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? That's Job talking to God. And then Job kind of humbles himself and says, well, it's me. I was talking about things I knew nothing about. And I highlighted it. Things far too wonderful for me. Let me tell you something about Christianity. If you can figure it all out, it's probably not God. Because if you can figure it out, it's just a system of dogmas and beliefs. But if it's not a system of beliefs and dogmas, but it's a relationship rather than a religion, you have to land on it. It's far too wonderful for me. Because <laughs> are you talking about whether I know the Bible or I know Him? Are you talking about whether I know my religion or whether I know Him? If you're talking about my religion, I'll tell you how we sing, how we worship, what we do, and give you the scriptures we base it on. But if you're talking about Jesus and God and His Spirit, dude, He's so big you can't put Him in a box. You cannot box the creator of the world to fit your little religious mind. Because if you can, he ceases to be God and he becomes a religious figurine. There's something wonderful that happens when a Christian says, the God I serve is just so big, I don't think I'll ever figure him out. My mother's 84. She's going to be speaking tonight. She said something just brilliantly made me scratch my head in her voice. Well, you know I'm 84. I said, I do. She said, I'll tell you something about the Holy Ghost. I've walked with him my whole life. I said, yes, ma'am, you have. I know the Holy Ghost. I said, yes, ma'am, you do. And she said, I'll tell you what I've learned about it with the Holy Ghost. She said, I'm 84. I don't even know anything about him. <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? 
And I asked her, I said, what did you just say? She said, I've walked with him so long, I finally realized I don't even know anything about him because he just reveals more and more of himself the more I get to know him, right? Well, you'd think by 84, you could figure out God, and God's like, no, June, I'm about to blow your mind at age 85. I'm bigger than you'll ever figure me out to be. So he's bigger than all of this. He's bigger than singing. He's bigger than this little cute lights we hung. He's bigger than the TVs. He's bigger than our religious dogmas. He's bigger than should we do communion or should we not? Should we do it in the middle or should we not? Should we do that dorky Bible confession or should we not? At the end of the day, Bible confession or not, we have to make the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus Christ is the resurrection of God Almighty. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to take that to the world. And if you want to sing out of a red back hymnal, do it. Just remember it's about Jesus. And if you want to sing off TVs, then do that. But do it about Jesus. But dear God, whatever you do, don't die for that. Don't die for the giraffe that you created. Give yourself to the main thing. So rather than coming to the point of who's right, we have to land on God is right. God is right. And that is difficult to land on. But I want to show you how we're going to land on it in the future, and then we'll let you go. There is a really cute, I use cute because I live with all women. There's a really cute passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. If you want to turn there, I'll end here with this thinking of what I mean Jesus' end game versus ours. Let me set it up quickly. Jesus is on the scene. He's walking around. He's doing miracles. He's healing. He's walking on water. He's seeing everything going on. Everybody's buzzing around town. Who is this guy? Who's the prophet, the priest, the poet? He's God. He's not. He's of the devil. Everybody's got an opinion. And so on this day, uh, a, a bunch of religious people show up. And if I've ever met a group of people that think they're right, it's religious people. That's why we're religious, because we're right. And so a group of right religious people show up in the most comical way. They begin to have a conversation if we think we're right with the person who's really right. And they begin to bump heads. And I love watching humans argue who's right with God. Because we always think we got Him until He speaks. And then it's like, oh, I almost had Him. So that's the setup. Here we go. Jesus was approached by some Sadducees and religious leaders who say there's no resurrection from the dead. So they posed a question. They're going to trick him. Here it comes. We're right. You're wrong. Teacher, so they, there's their opinion. We're at least going to give that you're kind of smart. Moses gave us a law, but we're smarter because we know the law. That if a man dies leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will marry... Uh, who will carry on the brother's name. And so this becomes the mantra. Uh, there's, there's somebody here, a lady. Her husband dies. He goes to the other world. She marries a second guy. He dies and goes to the other world. She marries seven dudes. That chick was busy. So she married seven dudes. They all died. I think she killed them, and I think it should be a Lifetime movie, but that's, that's beside the point. Because you got seven dudes that all die, and you're still alive, you're probably the problem. I, le I, le I didn't learn that from the Bible. I got that from Lifetime movies right there. Seven of them, and they're all dead and gone. And so they ask the question because we think we're right. And their rightness is there's no resurrection. We're going to prove it. So when she dies, who will she be married to? 
So tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection for all seven were married to her. What a brilliant question. We took him out. We just proved he's not going to be able to answer it, and I love it when Jesus answers. He said, well, your mistake. (laughs) He just started for the gut punch. Your mistake is you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Now when he said that, he doesn't mean they don't know the Scriptures because they just quoted it to him. They just said the law of Moses. They know the Scripture. But Jesus said, no, you don't know the Scripture. And they're probably thinking, oh, we do know the Scripture. We just quoted it to you. And he's like, yeah, you know the Scripture, but you don't know the Scripture. And you think you know the power of God, but you don't know the power of God. Because the word know means to perceive, notice, discern, and discover. In other words, if you're not careful, you will use the Scripture to discover yourself and your own points rather than using the Scripture to discover me. And you will use the Bible to your own advantage. You will use Scripture to prove your points. And I'll tell you after you've proven the point that you're all mistaken because you really don't know the Scriptures because you use them for your own gain versus knowing me. And you don't know my power because you use me to approve you rather than to allow me to be me. You don't know my power because you want me to be what you think I am and I'm not. You want me to be in the box of your mind, but you don't know my power. You cannot fit me in your understanding. So that's what Jesus says. And so I end with this thought. And I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to go out of here praising him. How many of you like to go out praising him? Here's the one thought I want to leave you with and where I want to take you. I want to take this church, I'm including myself, because I've been in it a long time and I want to make sure that I'm going the right way. I want to go the way that says I want to discover what God's end game is and not my own. And so for quite a while, I've been on a journey to discover God's end game here. From from Genesis to Revelation, I want to know His end game. What is the effort? Now listen to what Paul says. Paul jumps in and Paul is a guy that thought he was right. He was so right, he was killing people. He was so right, he could quote, he says of himself, I'm pretty brilliant. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a pure-blooded citizen. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And here we go, I'm a real Hebrew. He loved himself. The brother was brilliant. He said, I'm zealous. I'm without fault. He's, He's building himself up of how right he's been. But then he has a moment where he says, however, verse 7 of Philippians 3, I thought all of this was valuable, but now I consider it worthless because of what Christ has done. This brother came to a revelation that he spent his life building the giraffe only to find out that he was building the wrong giraffe. And when he realizes it, he he realizes how foolish he's been. So he comes to this conclusion. I just want to know him. Come on. I want to experience his power. 
that raised him from the dead, I want to suffer with him, share his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, now I'm about to pray a prayer. And his prayer is not that you would understand the giraffe and build your own. He says, my prayer is that you experience the love of Christ even though it's too great to understand. In other words, he takes it out of religion and he pushes it into relationship. I need you to know him even though that's too big to understand. My prayer, and he goes and he says, then you'll be made complete. And this is the journey I want to take us on because you'll be complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. I meet a lot of people who are religious, but they don't have fullness of life or the power of God. They know the Bible. They know the Scriptures. They know their denomination. They can give answers to all their quirks and isms. But I question, do you really know Him? Because does your life present the fullness and the power? Stand up with me, if you will. It's going to be quite a long journey because the weeks ahead, I'm going to take us from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to just pull out God's end game as it wars with humans. Because you're going to find all through the Bible there's a war between a human's end game and God's end game. And it ultimately plays out in the Gospels where the end game becomes clear. Would you bow your heads? We've already taken communion. We've prayed. We've worshipped. You've heard the word. Now the reality Are you going to put feet to what you heard? Are you just going to check a box and go, well, that was a good message? Will you become the critic of today? That was a good church. That wasn't. That was a good sermon. I wish they would have done. Or will all of us just say, you know what? I'm going to live my life for God's end game and not my own. And maybe for you today, that means you have to let go of some things, some hurts, some bitterness, some unforgiveness. Maybe it means you need to take God out of this little box you've had Him in where if He doesn't perform for you, you're mad, you're angry, you're upset. Maybe you need to free God to be God because you've demanded that He does life your way. You've even taught yourself, well, if I do A, God has to do B. And if I'll just do B, then God would have to do C. And you're living a formula Rather than just backing off and going, God, I trust you. You're far too wonderful for me. Your wisdom is far too great. So Lord, as a human being who really desires to be right, who really wants to see you do this for me, my prayer today, Father, is I back off of my wisdom and I take your wisdom. And I say, Lord, whatever you want to do, here I am. If you ever want to know a human being in the Bible that I think nailed this to the tree, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For they said, you can toss us in the fire, and if we burn up, we don't care. And if we not burn up, we don't care, because we already know who we believe, and we just trust Him. So whether we burn or don't burn, He's God, and that's the way we're going to land that plane. Oh, and what happened? Miracles happened. A fourth man showed up in the fire. They could have never thought that. So today, God, before we walk out of this building, I pray that we repent and we take you out of our little noggin box that has fit you in this nice little bag we carry called Christianity. 
where we all sit around and read the books that acknowledge that we're right. Listen to the preachers that remind us we're right. Father, I pray that we would all come to a place to say, regardless, you're right. We trust you even when we can't explain you because you're God. And it's about you and Jesus Christ. Come on, let's get ready. Just lift your hands if you will.